So today we're going to talk about flexibility and rigidity. And this first slide that's about to show up is the same photo that's on the cover of your bulletins. It's uh, a picture that was taken on the coast of California. Uh, Diane and I went out there for a wedding a few years ago and we rented a car and drove up Highway 1 along the coast north of San Luis Obispo, almost up to Monterey. And it was, it was really interesting. We just pulled off the side of the road. You know, Diane was uh, not real happy with me because I was driving too fast. And, and uh, you know, some of that road is, there's a big drop right into the ocean. But um, we stopped because we saw all these uh, various animals sunning themselves right on the beach there. And this old boy was there and he, uh, he was doing this really good stretch. And it made me want to get out of the, and stretch myself, so I did. But, you know, he, uh, he gave me a theological session there because I kept thinking, now, I wonder what God had in mind when he created these guys. And I, I wonder what kind of a useful thing they are to this world, but there they were, and there were hundreds of them, and... You just don't see animals like that in Iowa or Michigan, you know? They're just not around. But that was just kind of a cool thing to see. What he also is telling me is that being flexible is more enjoyable than being rigid. And sometimes humans are not very flexible, especially when it comes to religious rules. Now, I grew up with a lot of Sunday rules. That was just kind of an interesting thing. We used to go, we couldn't do any work on Sunday except the necessary feeding of the livestock. But we would quite often go for a road trip, just riding around the countryside, see what was out there. And this time of year during harvest, nobody in Sioux Center was harvesting because everybody was either Reformed or Christian Reformed. And we believed, you know, that if you worked uh, on Sunday, you bought yourself a ticket to hell. It was not a good thing. So we didn't do that. But when we go for these rides on Sunday afternoon, we'd occasionally see something like this. We'd see people harvesting on Sunday. And my grandmother would always say, oh, they must be Lutherans. Yeah. Or worse yet, Catholics. And so, uh, you know, they were warned about that sort of thing. And my dad, I know, wanted to harvest on Sunday. He wanted to get his crops out, but my mom would have killed him if he did. So it didn't happen. When I first moved here to Michigan, I met a retired Christian Reform missionary. He had spent 45 years in Nigeria and his main job was translating the New Testament into the various dialects of the Nigerians. And he enjoyed his time there, but he left, you know, 45 years before, moved back. He was from Jenison, and he moved back there. And he informed us that he would not be shopping at Meyer at all because they were open on Sunday. And that dishonored God, so they were not going to shop at Meyer. They had to find a grocery store that was closed on Sunday. And my parents supported this somewhat. You know, we never, ever went to a restaurant on Sunday. That was just strictly forbidden. But then I moved to Tulsa to go to college. 
You know, it's 550 miles straight south of Sioux Center. And they came out there and they took me out for Sunday brunch. I thought, what is this? I, how can you do this? You were always so opposed to going out to eat on Sunday. And my mom immediately said, well, no one knows us here. <laughs> so that was okay then, you know. But the church I grew up in read the Ten Commandments every Sunday. And they had that line in there, you know, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You know, six days usually where I could still recite it. But then as I became a Bible student myself and got into it more, I realized that the Sabbath was really Saturday. So the Hollanders were blowing it the whole time. They were keeping Sunday as the no work day, but it was really Saturday. And the Jews still observe Saturday. The Jewish Sabbath, the, what you call the biblical Sabbath, begins at sundown on Friday where they go to the synagogue and then Saturday they take off. I've got a buddy who grew up in Brooklyn or Queens, one of the two, I don't remember which, but he was raised Catholic. But the Jews in this neighborhood could not light a fire on the Sabbath day. So on Saturdays, he made quite a bit of money going around to these Jewish homes lighting their fires because they were not allowed to do it. But, you know, the Gentile kids were okay to do that. I had some strange rules growing up. I couldn't understand this. I was allowed to ride my horse on Sunday. Now that meant I, you know, I got the horse ready, saddled up, all that sort of thing. And I could ride all, Saturday, all Sunday afternoon. And I had friends that lived, you know, the nearest neighbor was a half a mile away, but he had uh, a horse too. And we, we horsed around on Sunday afternoons. But I was not allowed to ride my bicycle. I never could figure that out. That was just kind of a strange rule. And then if you think about Puritan New England, you know, this country has a history of that. If you washed your dishes on Sunday, you had to be put in the stocks like that. If somebody caught you washing dishes or doing any other kind of inappropriate activity on Sunday, that's what happened to you. And folks, that's, that's a drawing because, of course, there were no cameras in the 1600s. But that's Boston. That's, you know, good old USA. And, you know, they, they do it to honor the Ten Commandments. Now, I personally believe the Ten Commandments are a good deal. I think, and I believe that the story of their origin is true. I think that Moses did go up the mountain and was handed these tablets with the Ten Commandments on them by God himself, and he came down from the mountain with those. And I think those commandments are, have a vast amount of wisdom in them. I believe that. But the other rules that surround the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament, I think, were added on much later. The principle behind the Ten Commandments is a good one. It's good to take a day off. It's good to take time to sharpen the saw. It's good to have a day of personal maintenance and spiritual maintenance. But rigidity in forcing people to follow those rules is not a good idea. Not with any rules. Now, we've largely forgotten Sunday rules. We have other rules now. Like if somebody was to light up a cigarette in the entryway. Boy, that'd be the nicotine Nazis would be on that just like that, you know, because we are so dead set against smoking. 
And I had that experience, you know, I, I was on a horse every day uh, as a kid. Until I left and moved to college, I was on a horse every day, hardly ever missed a day. So I come to one of these places here in Michigan, and my kids want to ride a horse. And so I go, fine, we'll do it. And I'll get on one too. And they asked what your level of experience was. I said, well, I've been on one once or twice before. But they wanted me to wear a helmet to ride a horse. So you are, I am not, and then I, I have to pay for this? I said, there's no way. And I did not ride the horse because I refused to wear a helmet to ride a horse. But we tend to be flexible with some of our rules. Michigan driving is definitely one of those things. We tend to be flexible about the speed limit. Just to show you the flexibility, this is an actual speed limit sign in western Wyoming. When my son, who's now moved back to Michigan, uh, lived in Salt Lake City, I'd go down that road once or twice a year, and they would adjust the speed limit based on the road conditions. Like they lowered it to 45 miles an hour one time in August because there was a hailstorm and the hail was so thick on the road that my car actually started sliding off. And I, I had to wait a little bit. It was 85 degrees, the car thermometer dropped down to 50. I pulled off the road for a few minutes and then it was right back up to in the, in the 80s again. And the, of course the hail was melting. But they do that mostly for the snowstorms and blizzards that, that come out there. But, you know, we tend to be flexible on traffic laws in Michigan. I noticed that my son bought a car. He told he wasn't ready to come back from Utah yet, but he bought the car here, so he asked me to break it in for him. And so I did. And uh, I went down to uh, Buchanan, Michigan with it to get meat for the barbecue because I've got a good butcher shop down there that I really like. And I, I was coming back, I stopped in South Haven because I was getting sleepy, and there were s several state policemen there in this place where I was getting coffee. And, you know, I had to strike up a conversation with them. How are you guys doing today? What's up? And, well, they were running speed traps that day. I said, now, you know, I'm going to confess to you that I've had the crews set on this car at 80 miles an hour all day. And I've written past cops, the cops have passed me. I said, so what's the deal on that? When do you start writing tickets? And the one guy said, well, it's kind of up to the discretion of the officer, but his rule was nine, you're fine, 10, you're mine. <laughs> and I've kind of been driving that way ever since, just set that speedometer and, you know. But anyway, uh, we're kind of flexible on that. I think we need to be with religious rules too. I see my job is to teach the Bible and however you apply it's fine with me and I won't judge you for it. That's the way it's, I think, supposed to be. Now we're going to look at some of these religious rules based on the teachings of Jesus, the Old Testament prophet Hosea, and the New Testament book of Hebrews today. First we're going to look at the story of Jesus from Matthew chapter 12. It goes like this. One Sabbath, Jesus was strolling with his disciples through a field of ripe grain. Hungry, the disciples were pulling off the heads of grain and munching on them. Some Pharisees reported them to Jesus. Your disciples are breaking the Sabbath rules. See, their rules were kind of like 
back home for me. No harvesting on the Sabbath. If you did that, that was naughty. You shouldn't do that. Now, the Pharisees were so interested in this. I mean, who cares if you grab a handful of barley and eat it on the Sabbath day? But the Pharisees were pointing that out. And I think, you know, just human nature hasn't changed. There's always a group that wants to establish its dominance. You know, I get to be the alpha dog here. Me big, you little, that sort of thing. And I think that's what they were doing here. The story goes on like this. Jesus said, really? Didn't you ever read what David and his companions did when they were hungry? How they entered the sanctuary and ate fresh bread off the altar? Bread that no one but priests were allowed to eat? And didn't you ever read in God's law that priests carrying out their temple duties break Sabbath rules all the time and it's not held against them? See, David and his companions ate the holy bread that they weren't supposed to eat. And the priests always work on the Sabbath. Now, I tell people, I don't ever work on Sunday. I do my work during the week. This is just a party, you know, that I throw on every Sunday. But um, they were really up on that. Now, the story goes on like this. There's far more at stake here than religion. If you had any idea what this scripture meant, I prefer a flexible heart to an inflexible ritual, you wouldn't be nitpicking like this. The Son of Man is no yes man to the Sabbath. He's in charge. See, Jesus is the manifestation of God. He makes the rules. And he makes the rules flexible. It's rigid religious leaders who make them inflexible. When Jesus left the field, he entered their meeting place. There was a man there with a crippled hand. They said to Jesus, is it legal to heal on the Sabbath? They were baiting him. See, they knew he could heal. Now, I would have personally celebrated this. I would have said, as I've said to televangelists, a couple of them, if you have this gift of healing, don't waste your time in these big meetings. Go to the hospital and empty those puppies out. You know, the, it's, it's okay. I don't care if the healthcare system goes broke. Go there and empty that hospital out. But Jesus' healings weren't for that purpose. They weren't for the purpose of the healings. They were there to teach something. Every miracle he did had a special meaning to it. The point, but the point here is, I wouldn't care if it was a Sabbath day. You want to heal somebody? Heal them. So the story goes on. He replied, Is there a person here who, finding one of your lambs fallen into a ravine, wouldn't, even though it was a Sabbath, pull it out? Surely kindness to people is as legal as kindness to animals. Then he said to the man, Hold out your hand. He held it out and it was healed. The Pharisees walked out furious, sputtering about how they were going to ruin Jesus. You can just see that, can't you? You know, these Pharisees are saying, if we don't stop this guy, we'll lose control. They didn't want to give up the idea of me big, you little. It's all about controlling others. And Jesus saw it was not about loving others. It was not about caring for them. It was about who's going to control what. 
And then there's the story of Hosea in the Old Testament. It's a little book. I recommend you read it. It's really interesting. Hosea is called by God to be a prophet. You know what the first thing God tells him to do is? He says, Hosea, I want you to marry a prostitute. You know, it's so interesting. The Old Testament's full of stories like that. But when I say the word prostitute, I see heads just bopping right up. It's amazing how that works. But here's Hosea. Go marry a prostitute. And he does. He has children with her. But God says to Hosea, she's going to go back into this life of prostitution. She's going to end up a slave. And she does. So then he says, Hosea, you have to buy her back when that happens. Now, I think that's a cool story because it foreshadows what Jesus did for all of us. You know, he bought us back. He gave his life as a ransom for us. I think that's a pretty cool thing. So that's why I like Hosea. It's a foreshadowing of that. But Hosea's key verse is this one from chapter 6, verse 6, where God says, through Hosea, I want you to show love not offer sacrifices. I want you to know me more than I want burnt offerings. I'm sure the Pharisees had a heart attack first time they read that. See, how you treat people is more important than religious ritual. How you relate to God is more important than religious practice. So... You know, the Pharisees most likely needed oxygen when they read this. But then they kind of forgot about it because they like to enforce their laws and their rituals. Just the idea of offering sacrifices, you know, when Jesus threw the people out of the temple, they were selling animals for these sacrifices and making a fortune off of that. There was a huge industry around people's naivete and here... Even in the Old Testament, it says, no, I don't want that stuff. In Jeremiah, we're going to come across passages where, he, where God says, I never asked you to make these uh, sacrifices. I want you to love each other. It's, it's as plain as the nose on your face, but it's been ignored for so many years. So let's look at the New Testament letter now to the Hebrews. And this was written to the Hebrews, to the Jewish people, very religious people who were into the Old Testament laws. They called it the Old Covenant or the Old Testament as compared to the New Covenant or the New Testament. And there's a lengthy discussion on it, but Hebrews chapter 8, verse 13 kind of summarizes it. It says, when God speaks of a new covenant, it means he has made the first one obsolete. It's now out of date and will soon disappear. See the scary thought here, it's true, a lot of people get really nervous about it, is that Jesus made the Old Testament rules obsolete. The Old Testament, with all its rules, is not binding for the follower of Jesus. There's wisdom there, but it's not binding. So what this says to me is i got to stop picking at people who don't follow the rules the way I think they should follow them. Or I need to stop feeling guilty 
for not following the rules myself. See, when you trust Jesus to save you, he does that. Uh, You're still a hot mess when you trust Jesus to save you, and that's probably not going to change. But it's okay, because you're forgiven. That's a good thing. As the ancients said, believe this good news and live in peace. You view the rules as wisdom, but not something that has to be followed no matter what. And Jesus gave us all kinds of examples about that. You know, the Pharisees were really uptight about religious ritual and practice. They were also really uptight about adultery. You know, uh, humans have been engaged in adultery since, you know, since the time of Adam and Eve. Now, Adam probably didn't commit adultery because there wasn't anybody to commit adultery with. But it's kind of a human nature thing. Jesus gave us interesting examples about that. John chapter 4, the Gospel of John chapter 4. He's thirsty. He's walking through Samaria. And the Jews don't have anything to do with the Samaritans because the Samaritans were kind of half Arab, half Jew. And so they were kind of the outcasts, okay? And Jesus is thirsty. He comes to this well, and there's a woman there who's drawing water out with a bucket and a rope, I'm assuming. And he goes up to that woman and starts talking to her. He asks her for a drink, and she obliges him. Then they start talking, and he says to this woman, you're, uh, you've had five husbands, and the guy you have now that you're living with is not your husband. And the discussion goes to you know, spiritual things after that. The disciples of Jesus, good Jews that they were, were just shocked that he was there, not only because he was talking to a woman, which good pious Jews didn't do in public, but he was talking to a Samaritan woman, a woman who had been married five times, a woman who was living with someone she wasn't married to, and Jesus is having a conversation with her. He was a little flexible on those rules. And then in John chapter 8, the famous story of the woman caught in adultery. You know, the man got away. He was probably one of the Pharisees. But the woman was drugged in front of people. And according to some Old Testament passages, she could be stoned to death. Not stoned, you know, that way, but rocks literally thrown at her. And here she was in front of this group. How they caught her and how the guy got away, we don't know. But it was definitely a male-centered society in those days. And uh, the Pharisees want want to stone her which they didn't have the authority to do because at that time it was under Roman law and Roman law says that only Romans can condemn people to death. So they didn't have the authority to do that, but they wanted to trap Jesus, of course. And it's so interesting. You all know what Jesus said. Okay, go ahead, kill her. But the one of you that's without sin is the one who can be the first one to throw a stone. Then they all left. They all bailed because they knew what was in their own hearts. So we need to be flexible with the rules. The reputation of organized religion, whether it's Catholic, Protestant, Jewish, even Islam, 
the reputation of organized religion is do as I say, but not as I do. It's follow these rules. We got to get rid of that. Instead, we teach the Bible and let people apply it, and we don't judge them how. Okay? We accept everyone. Laketon Bethel's first core value, the A value, is acceptance. It says everyone, regardless of who they are, what they've done or what they're doing will be accepted here. Laketon Bethel will be a safe place to explore your relationship with Jesus. So what this means is you have to accept the people who don't follow the rules the way you think they should be followed. And you have to accept yourself for not following all the rules. You have to accept yourself instead of carrying all this guilt around. Because Jesus has taken care of that. You know, it's like you have a million dollar fine and you know you can't pay it. Jesus comes along and pays the fine. You're off the hook, but you're still beating yourself up because you think you got to pay the fine. You don't have to. It's taken care of. Your relationship with God is, is handled. Also, what he asks of you is how you treat other people. Religious ritual is flexible, and love always wins. Let's pray together, shall we? Lord, we have to apologize for what organized religion has done throughout the centuries. We ask now that you create within us a heart that is flexible, a heart that is non-judgmental, a heart that receives everyone, whether they follow our rules or not. Amen. Okay, so we are going to receive our offering now. And for our video audience and for everyone here, we still have that pesky red ink in the general fund budget. And if you want to give online, just go to lakedandbethel.org and follow the instructions and you'll be able to do that. Or if you want to give here, that's great too. And as always, I thank you for your generosity.